0: Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running fitness and general health. In today's episode we will hear from Luke Humphrey, head coach of Luke Humphrey Running, earlier known as Hansen's Coaching Method. Luke is one of the most respected and knowledgeable coaches in the world and has been coaching since 2006. He has also had an illustrious career as a professional runner, And let me just touch upon a few of his achievements. Luke's personal best time in the marathon is 2 hours and 14 minutes and 39 seconds. And his half marathon time is 1 hour, 3 minutes and 57 seconds. He has qualified thrice for Olympic trials for the U.S. In World Marathon Major running, Luke has finished 11th overall at both Boston and New York Marathon and 12th at Chicago Marathon. Luke has by qualification a BAA and an MS in Exercise Science. And he's also a certified uh, clinical exercise uh, specialist. On a personal note, I want to add that I have used Luke's method for all my marathon with great success. And uh, more than that, I also had the privilege of being coached by Luke personally last year when I ran my best personal marathon time of three hours and 20 minutes at the Chicago Marathon. So listeners, stay with us and you will get tremendous value from today's discussion, just like the tens of thousands of runners around the world who have used Luke's training philosophy and methods to achieve incredible success. Welcome to the show, Luke.
1: Oh, thanks, Raj. That's quite the intro. I've never got an intro that good before. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, all very well deserved I must say I, I must say uh, look, uh, so we would now like to hear in your own words a bit of your background a bit about your coaching and your journey uh journey thus far. So over to you without any further ado.
1: Yeah, I mean uh so you know I, I, I ran for Kevin and Keith uh, Hansen who the book comes from uh from 2004 through 2018. And uh, it was really, if it weren't for Kevin and Keith, I, I definitely wouldn't be uh, where I'm at now. Uh, they definitely encouraged me. They actually encouraged me to start doing the coaching early on. Um, when, I moved, when I moved down here to train, they, uh, you know, they knew my background in exercise science and things like that and really thought I'd be a good fit for, for doing coaching for the recreational runners around here. And that's really how it all started. I started doing clinics for um, the Detroit Marathon here and and then it just kind of went from there and then uh we were uh casey blaine who is with uh Po uh it's it's a uh, fellow press but they're owned by podium runner here in the u.s they they do mostly cycling books but they got in contact with kevin and keith and said hey you want to do this book and kevin and keith are you know pretty busy guys and they're like i really don't have time so they say hey luke you want to do it i said yeah absolutely so i mean i'm really really fortunate to have had that opportunity so Um, but that's really where it started. I mean, it started, uh, I remember distinctly, I, um, I finished, I defended my master's thesis, uh, in the first part of April of 2006. Uh, I flew to Boston within a few days, finished 11th at Boston and came home and started, uh, the coaching. So all that within a couple of weeks that all started and then it's, and it's going today. So, um, so yeah, and that's really about it. And when you know, I really kind of moved from just coaching the clinics and doing kind of some local speed workouts and stuff like that to um, you know, at the at the time, uh I think Greg McMillan was about the only online coach at the time. And um we kind of started dabbling in that and ended up developing a really good partnership with uh, a company called Final Surge that really made it easy to give training plans to people really anywhere in the world. And so we've really blasted and we really just out of uh, you know just kind of ease of what of technology and stuff I think we've really just kind of eased out of working people with people locally and moving to just being like with yourself I mean half a world away able to provide a training plan and communicate and all those things. So it's really just kind of evolved into what it is is now. So
0: thank you for that uh, introduction, uh, Luke. So let's start with the basic pillars of your training uh, methodology. I know that you stress this concept of cumulative fatigue pretty early in the book. I'm sure the listeners would be able to hear about that as well as the overall structure of how you approach marathon training.
1: You know, Kevin and Keith have always preached uh, the the cumulative uh, of, uh, fatigue effect, and and honestly, it's one of those things that gets uh, a lot. There's a lot of misconception around it. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion between like what that is versus being over-trained so it's a very delicate balance and and part of if if with the what we with what we kind of go over as far as if you're being consistent with training that's the biggest thing for me if you can just get you to be consistent with training and then learn your appropriate paces so for like when we were working with you Raj it was you know we were working around run you know 325 or so in the marathon all your paces were evol- revolved around that that number right And so. Easy days were going to be much slower than what other days would be. And so I think uh, that's where we try to stress is like every pace has a role and you got to get past the point of where i just running fast as I can every day. Um, so if we can be consistent through those things, we can get you to a point of cumulative fatigue. Uh, and that really is just the point where you're tired, but you're still able to hit all of your workouts. And the big difference between that and like being completely overtrained is is really um, – just if you're overtrained, you're tired and then you can't hit any workouts you know your your workouts suffer you get slower you get more tired it's just a vicious cycle of that whereas human fatigue you might feel tired at the start but you get into that workout and you're still able to hit all the paces right and so that's that's the big difference there between um take it it, we're really talking about the difference between going to the edge of that line and then jumping completely over that line and, and being hurt and sick and injured and all those types of things so um, that's really what we're about, um, and really, when you look at statistics, and I think you know, I, I just refer back to co- conversations with with Kevin and Keith about this. Is that you know, when you look at statistics in the United States, they started keeping track of them in the early nineteen seventies, and we had maybe twenty five thousand people run a marathon in say nineteen seventy. You take that up to now, and it's a half a million people a year run a marathon in the United States, and. With that, we've gotten significantly slower. It's you know, the average time now is probably uh, forty five minutes to an hour slower than what it was even twenty years ago. And so I think that really didn't set well with Kevin and Keith, and that was part of their philosophy. It was like because then you came out with the less is more type of things where you can run three days a week and you're run a marathon, which is true. you can you can totally do that. but the the flip side of that is your your performance isn't going to be, what it could be is if you put a dedicated training plan of five to six days a week, running different types of workouts and having a long run that's appropriate with the volume that you're doing. Because that's a bit, essentially what we had evolved to Was you know, in the, say in, in the U.S. and in the, in the early 2000s, it was just, oh, you don't have to run very much during the week. You just need to run that 20 miler on the weekend and you'll be fine. And people could do that. But as a result, we just got a lot slower. Right. And so I think that was. The whole point of them putting the schedule together was really kind of let's take this to the next level. Let's get that performance back up to where it, where it can be. Because ultimately, people talk themselves out of being able to perform. Um, but the truth is, if you're just consistent and you just put your time in and you and you follow a plan, you can get significantly faster without you know any type of magic formula or anything like that. So I think that's really where where it kind of uh, of went.
0: One of the things that I have learned from you is uh, the fact that no single workout is going to make or may uh, break a training plan. Uh, so that's 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 absolutely that's very vital to remember. And this overemphasis that we see in a lot of training plans, and in fact uh, in the minds of a lot of uh, athletes themselves. Uh, it's actually quite uh, misplaced because what even I have observed uh, is that a lot of people do these 20-mile runs and even a little higher on a Sunday and then they are so thrashed for the rest of the week that either they are doing nothing
1: mm-hmm. or even
0: if they are trying to do some other workouts, they are simply not able to uh, achieve that. So uh, the the fact that uh, you know you stress on running easy days easy if somebody asks me the single biggest lesson i have learned from your program it's that right i mean easy days are meant to be easy don't worry about the pace just go by feel just recover and hit the workouts which are coming up on the uh, on the other on the other days so yeah, thank you for absolutely. that just leading from that what are some of the common misconceptions and mistakes you still uh, see in your athletes
1: Yeah. And we hit on a little bit, but definitely the long run is by far the biggest, right? And it's exactly what you just said. I mean, uh, like you said, if they're running 20 miles a week, what are they doing the other six days of the week, right? You know, and and a lot of times they're not doing very much. So what is that? What is that 20 miler taught them? All it's taught them is that they can run 20 miles really slow and nothing more, really. It means that, you know, they can cover the distance, but they're not going to be able to run it very fast. Uh, so, you know, the misconception with the, with the long run with us is that, and even when i wrote the when I, even when i wrote the book the the publishers wanted to do like a less is more type of title and i'm like you need to look at the actual schedule because it's not a less is more plan right you're doing a lot of work um it's just spread out over the week um and so i think that's that's the biggest misconception is that even though the long runs are only 16 miles you're doing a lot of work and a lot of work during the week you know and you know raj like you're doing those 10 mile tempo runs at marathon pace on thursdays and then you're taking Friday and Saturday easy. And then you're coming back and running longer on Sunday. Then you come back and run a workout on Tuesday, have Wednesday off. You know, this, you do that for, you know, a good 14, 16 weeks of the 18 week program. And, and that's, and that's where the cumulative fatigue comes in. And it's like you said, not one workout is going to make you really fit or it's not going to cause you to lose fitness, but it's that cumulative effect of all those kind of moderate based workouts adding up over time. That's going to get you to where you need to be to run, to run the marathon. Because I think that's one of the, one of the things is people don't, the, running a marathon is is tricky because you, you can run a 5k, but the, the pain you feel in a 5k, the discomfort you feel in a 5k isn't anything that you feel in a marathon. And that's really hard to replicate in training because in a 5k you're like, oh my gosh, my side hurts or, you know, my, I have that lung That lung burning feeling from just running so hard. You don't have that in a marathon. It's just like you can't pinpoint where that discomfort's coming from. So we have to do what we can to stimulate just being uncomfortable in general in training. And then when you come to race day, you're gonna be, you're gonna be uh much better off. But going back to that long run, I think, you know, people say, oh, it's it's only 16 miles. But for most people, you're still talking about a run that's going to be, you know, two hours, maybe even more. Um, depending on what they're trying to run in the race. So you're still putting plenty of volume in and then you back that up to what, um, the day, the day before your, your easy run wasn't like a three or four mile easy run. It's a six to eight mile easy run. And then you back it up the day before you ran another easy run and you back it up a day before that and you did a tempo run. So you, you never fully recovered going into that long run. And, and one thing that like Kevin and Keith would always explain is that 16 miler shouldn't feel like the first 16 miles of the marathon it should feel like the last 16 miles of the marathon and that's what people would feel like because they're they're pretty fatigued going in but they're not so fatigued that they can't do it right and that's the biggest thing so and, and I think too it's not about 16 or 20 it's about what lines up and so with the volume of the program overall you know that 16 miles is more like you know 25 maybe up to 30 percent of the weekly volume whereas you get to a lower mileage program and you're doing a 20 mile long run but you're only doing 30 to 40 miles a week you're talking 50 to you know 60 70% of your weekly volume is coming from one run so that severely limits what you're able to do the rest of the week and that's that's a big big component that we always have to kind of that's always a hurdle we have to get over if people haven't read the book or anything like that but I think we do a pretty good job in the book describing describing that process
0: oh you absolutely do in fact uh, you know it's uh, for us uh, who follow the method it's uh, it's almost like the bible which we keep uh, referring to uh, during multiple times uh, you know during our training uh, training plans uh, related to the long runs one of the concepts that you also stress is the fact that running over 3 hours uh, Typically, the risk reward in terms of what you gain from that excess running, let's say, for three and a half hours or sometimes even four hours, Mm -hmm. that additional half an hour or one hour that you run is not really adding to your fitness any more than what you get uh, in within three hours. And looking back at at the training paces for a lot of runners... 16 miles often sits at, at that level. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, a long run which you do at uh, let's say 30 seconds to a minute slower than your target marathon pace would probably add up to three hours. Uh, yeah. But I have I have seen a lot of runners, you know, doing three and a half and sometimes four a four hour long runs simply to hit a, a mileage like 20 miles or 22 miles or whatever. So can you just share a little bit around? what do you mean by, you know, why, why do you have that kind of a red line in the sand, so to speak, uh, about uh, around three hours?
1: Yeah, I mean, the argument I always get is is people say, well, I want to run pretty close to what a, the time I'm going to run in a marathon, right? So they have to replicate that in training. But, um, but like you said, you're running significantly slower than what you're going to run for the marathon. So really, to me, it doesn't really teach you that much. It's just teaching how to run a long distance slow, right? Slower than what you want to race at. Um, but the, the as far as the, like the red line in the sand, you know, the three hours, yeah, because it really comes back to what you were saying before, like how if you do that mega long run, it you can't, it's so hard to recover from that and do something later in the week. So three hours is a really good time frame as far as I'm maximizing what I can get fitness wise. But I'm also minimizing the time I'm gonna to need to recover from that, right? So yeah, I ran for three hours, but that's something like if I did that, say Sunday morning, I ran my three hours, I can spend all day Sunday focusing on my nutrition, my hydration, recovering from that, take my easy day super easy, just to get my legs back into it. And then Tuesday, I'm pretty much ready to go back and do another workout. Whereas if you say you go, you three and a half to four hours, You've depleted your energy store so much, you've started to really break down muscle tissue that now you've got to let that all come back. And that can take a good 48 plus hours if it's really taken down to a level that's, you know, kind of critical level. Um, That's going to take a long time to get back. Uh, And then when you look at muscular damage, if you damage your muscles so, so much, you're going to, you know, when you get that, you know, that delayed onset of muscle soreness, that's coming from that you've actually done damage to the muscles. And now the pain you're feeling is those muscles trying to re- to heal themselves. Um, so if you're at that point, now you need another three days. Because what happens if you're already super, super tired, super fatigued, you didn't do a good job replacing energy stores, and then you go out and do a speed workout or a strength workout on Tuesday, and you're not fully recovered yet. Every time you do that, you just dig that hole a little bit deeper instead of, kind of digging that hole during the workout and then recovering out of it, you know, you just kind of keep setting yourself back a little bit further. And so it might not feel that bad with 10 weeks to go till the marathon, but then you get to four weeks to go to the marathon and you're completely done. You're either hurt, you're sick, uh, injured, can't train, sometimes a combination of those things, and then you don't even make it to the starting line. So it's really about mitigating risk and maximizing potential without, uh, with minimizing that risk of getting hurt, I guess. So,
0: Okay. Uh, moving on, during a training cycle, which uh, uh, typically is 16 to 18 weeks, uh, are there some specific workouts you ask athletes to watch out for, especially towards the latter part of the training cycle, let's say, eight weeks, six weeks out, which kind of indicates uh, to them that uh, they are ready? Uh, and also weaving that to your own personal experience, were there some uh, particular kind of workouts which told you you were ready or not ready uh, closer to closer to approaching the race?
1: Yeah, I think uh, there's a couple different points. I think um, when you're looking at just the, the plans in the books, you, you know we do a, we do a block of six to eight weeks of of speed work. And I think that speed work is really important, especially for people who are looking to kind of settle into a goal time. So when you get to that point where you're doing, um, we call it the ladder workout where it's basically 400, 600, 800 on up. And then, um, sometimes for really big volume, they come back down, but you know, either case, that's, that's a big workout and that's a workout that a lot of people tend to struggle with. So I think if you can do that and feel pretty good about it, that's a really good indication that your fitness is going in the right direction. And from there, I think you can use that. Is maybe a basis of what you can kind of settle on for a uh, a goal time for the marathon. Uh, but that's really, if you're following the plans of the book, I think at that point, that's when you really got to make that final decision on uh, what you're going to run, what you're going to, what your goal pace is going to be for the marathon. Cause then you switch over to what we call the strength workouts, which is just a little bit faster than than marathon pace. And it's, it's kind of set up like a, like a repeat type of workout. Um, and those are, those are, uh, those are important, um, but I think those are more important because it kind of has to teach people to be patient and, and kind of be patient with uh, not going, not just stepping on the gas pedal and going as fast as they can on the strength workouts. Um, and that's so that's a different thing. I think when you get to like four weeks out and you have those big 10-mile tempo runs at marathon pace, because at that point you're already really tired. You already have a lot of fatigue in your legs. If you can do those tempo runs at pretty close to marathon goal pace, and be able to recover and continue to train hard that's a really good sign that you're that you're ready right i don't think when you do a 10 mile tempo run say like you have uh i think two or three of them to do if you get and do that second or third one and you get to the point where you finish that 10 mile tempo run and you're pretty close to pace you felt like you could have gone maybe a couple miles more i think that's a really good indicator that you're you're really fit to go and ready to go at that pace that you you had set out at i think those are those are the two kind of big um, threshold type of uh, markers that I would look at. Um, the other thing I would look at is your how your long runs are going. So if you do that 10-mile tempo, but then your long run really suffers, you might have to reconsider how fast you're going because it just means you're just probably, in, probably pushing a little too hard on those tempo runs because you should be able to do that, come back and do that long run at a pretty significant pace. Um, and if you can't and you fade off in the long runs – your your tempos are probably a little too quick okay
0: now you know in your book uh, you talk about uh, post 32 kilometers or 20 more miles however well trained you are marathon is going to be a challenge and it's tough for everybody including uh, probably kipchoge himself right mm-hmm. so mental training uh, has been getting a lot of attention you know in the last 20 30 years a lot of research is going on in that uh, what are some of your ideas uh, behind mental training Uh, how can athletes uh, prepare themselves mentally to be strong uh, while training uh, and then obviously translating that onto race day?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I don't know how it is for you guys, but, you know, for me, everybody runs with earbuds on and they're listening to podcasts or they're listening to music. They should listen to Raj's podcast, but they got to be careful. (laughs) But there's a time for it, right? And I think if you're on an easy run, it's a lot different story. But when you're doing a workout and you're really trying to buckle down and mentally focus on what you're doing, so many times people want to dissociate from that. They want to just have music drown it out. Uh, and you can do that in a workout because the workout's not long enough to really kind of get you to that point mentally of, of no return. But in a race like a marathon, you get to 20, 22, even 24 miles, and you're really kind of having that mental fog because, you know, your glycogen's being depleted, you're tired, you want to be done, all these things, right? You've got to be able to in your head say, hey, I've been here before and we've done it. Right. And that's the biggest thing. If you get to the point because you, you're going to get to a point where no matter what music you're playing in your ear in your earbuds, your brain's going to override that. And so you you need to recognize what that feeling feels like and know that you can overcome that. And so that's my biggest thing is I really push people not to really do workouts or just, just associate themselves, learn how you're going to learn how you feel on a hard workout, learn to kind of accept that discomfort and welcome, not, you know, almost kind of welcome it. Like I know you're here, you're present, but we're still got a workout to do. Right. Whereas if you block that out you're going to get to a point where you can no longer block that out, and that's that's really really key. So that's the, probably the biggest thing I can recommend to people is learn to associate that. And that's when you look at you look at guys like Kipchoge and things like that. The faster I've, I've looked at stud, there's been studies that looked at this where basically recreational runners are good. They they can overcome by blocking things out, but it only goes so far. Whereas elite runners. Do a much better job in associating themselves with that discomfort, recognizing it, and recognizing that they can come out on the other side of that. So that would be the that would be the big thing. The other thing I would say is I always see a lot of negative self-talk. I see this a lot with the athletes I coach just by looking at their logs. They are so good at talking themselves out of doing something before they even have done it. And so I would really recommend to say, you know anytime you have a negative thought, you got to block that out, replace it with a positive thought. Come up with them with a mantra like it could even be as simple as relax my jaw, relax my shoulders. And when it gets hard, that's what you're thinking about. You know, you start thinking, okay, relax my jaw, relax my shoulders. Think about your form. Okay, I need to stand. I need to be straighter. I'm slouching over. Things like that. And just have find that one sentence or two that you can focus on, and just put that on repeat over and over and over and over and over again. And those are the two two biggest things that you can you can probably do, and they're the easiest things that you can do. You just recognize it. Accept it, and then counter it with something positive.
0: Uh, thank you, Luca. Uh, moving on to strength training, it's, it's something which you know, is quite critical, especially during a, a training phase. How do you advise your athletes to blend it in? Uh, because, for example, in your plans, uh, it is six days of uh, running, uh, although three, three of three of those days is you know easy running. But how do you kind of give a broad guidance uh, on uh, strength training? And are there certain specific exercises that uh, you recommend that uh, all athletes do?
1: Yeah, and strength training is is definitely a rabbit hole you can go down. It's 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 honestly, uh, it's pretty it's pretty. There's a lot of ways you can go with it, right? And so it's always kind of a conversation I'll have individually with people. But for the most part, I would say most most runners tend to have very weak glutes and rear ends um, they tend to have very strong quads because they tend to run more quad dominated than, than they're using their, their rear end. Um, and then usually like pretty tight, weak calves. So there's a lot, I mean, there's pretty much some, some pretty common things core in general is pretty bad with runners. Um, so that's usually the first step I take with runners is just getting them to do something like that consistently. And the, and, cause I always look at things from, where am I going to get the most benefit with the least amount of work as far as that goes? Because I'm already asking people to run a pretty big volume of miles. A lot of times they're working, um, you know, times limited, right? And so you're going to get to a point where uh, time using that extra hour of sleep or whatever the case is, or just downtime is more beneficial than trying to cram one more thing in. Right. And so you always have to have that balance. But so like if somebody can do 15 minutes of just like planks Body weight squats, calf raises, uh, bridges, single and double leg bridges uh, where you're basically just laying on your back with your knees at a 45 and using your your, your uh, glutes to, to push yourself up. Uh, you, you do simple things like that and you do those for 10, 15 minutes a day and you start out with like two, three times a, two three times a week um, and build up to three or four times, five times a week you can do that. I mean, you can do that any time of the day. You could do that if you're on break at work, whatever, you know, whatever the case is, you can fit those things in. Um, and so that's where I really try to start with people. And then we'll move into more, uh, more complex types of things and into like actual, uh, weights and things like that, plyometrics and stuff like that. But most, but but my, from my perspective as a coach, what I see is people want to go straight to the hard stuff but they don't have the foundation of the of the the basics first, right? And if you don't have the basics, you're just going to get hurt doing the more advanced stuff. So to me, it's a it's definitely a spectrum of where you need to be. And so, regardless, I usually try to get people on that basic stuff first, and then after six eight weeks, and they're pretty consistent with it, then I'll move them up into more of the traditional body uh, uh, lifting type of things like you know squats, uh, pull ups, bench press, those types of things. But if you do go that route. I definitely usually go multi-joint things first. Uh, so like a squat, uh, like a like a like uh, even a push-up, um, things like that, where you're using multiple joints at once, which means you're going to get multiple muscles at once, which can drastically cut down how much time you're spending on something. And you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Uh, as far as timing, there's really two thoughts, right? There's one where you keep everything... Easy on easy days and you do all your hard stuff on hard days, which would mean maybe doing, uh, say, a speed workout in the morning, going to work, and then after work, coming back and doing a, a strength workout, which is fine. But usually people are pretty tired. It doesn't necessarily make sense for, for that. At that point, it might be more beneficial just to rest, focus on hydration and nutrition. Um, and then the other one is would be just like, so you did your long run Sunday, come on Monday, do your core and stuff Monday after the run. Tuesday, you do your workout. Wednesday, maybe you, you just focus on recovery. Thursday's a workout. Friday's a workout. Saturday, maybe you do, uh, or Friday, you do easy run core again. And then you have Saturday and Sunday, you know, so it's one of those cycles where it just be like, if you have a little bit of time, you do a workout, strength workout the next day. And then, but if you just do the core stuff, that's not so intense that you, it's not really going to take any more out of you. And that you can just do, you can just go easy run and then straight into like a 15-minute core routine. And that's done wonders for runners just on that alone. And then and then take it to the next level if you really want to. But you really have to start with those, those basic type of things first.
0: What about drills? How do you incorporate and at what stage uh, do you recommend drills? Do you recommend people doing uh, drills throughout the year, throughout the training cycle, or are there specific points at which drills are, Uh, especially beneficial
1: yeah drills drills are really uh they're really done anytime um there's you could do them during just easy running you could use them as a dynamic warm-up before a run Um, i tend to give them to athletes uh i would so say tuesday you know tuesdays and thursdays are the big workouts for in our plan so tuesdays i would basically say do a a jog warm-up do your drills And then do your workout. Because really what the drill is acting as is is a kind of a bridge from easy running to really fast running. And then the byproduct of that as well is form improvement, better neuromuscular connections, um, which is going to help with fatigue. It's going to help you be more economical. So you're going to be able to run faster using less energy. So I definitely like drills. My problem is as an online coach it's one of those things where I want to show them how to do it. And so it's hard to just give them like a PDF file or a video um, when you can't actually observe them. So I I tend to, I I tend to be hesitant to give them to people because they only work if you do them right, you know, and if, if you do them wrong, then you're really increasing the risk for injury. So if you do do these, it would be nice to have a coach present. So if you're in a running club and you have somebody that works with, with everybody you know that's maybe something that they could incorporate. Be you know if they do a, a weekly workout together or something like that. That's something that totally can be done. But I actually do like doing um, things like leg swings, even just like body weight squats, uh, even some light calf raises, things like that. Those those will do wonders for a warm up, and they actually will help with the things that we're talking about. When you when you get into things like sprints and a skips and b skips, karaoke, uh, all those other things. I tend to look at those as a precursor to doing an actual workout. So, do warm up, do those, then do the workout. And but but anytime you're doing a workout, I think it's a good time to do that. Um, what happens with with our plan is a lot of times people, especially like with the tempo run, they'll go from the warm up and they'll just do it all as one run. They'll warm up, tempo, cool down all as one run. And what I would like to see them do is warm up, take ten minutes to do the drills, and then do the tempo. Um, and I, I think they would get much more benefit benefit out of that. But at the end of the day, you just you just ultimately take what you can get from from people. If they do them another way, that's fine. Uh, I would rather see them do them than than not do them.
0: Uh, women's running is uh, taking off in a big way uh, in countries like India and the uh, rest of uh, Asia. Uh, probably the way it, you know, kind of changed in the US between, I would think, mid eighties to what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you very well know, women face uh, somewhat different challenges. Uh, so, can you give our listeners, uh, women listeners, uh, especially, some pointers that they need to be a bit more conscious uh, conscious about?
1: If somebody, ha- if you have access, there's a book called Roar R O A R. And it's a great book um, and it's all about the special, uh, you know, cir- circumstances that women are, are undergoing. It's a great book and, and it, it really kind of, she goes into a lot of like differences in nutrition. So she, I know one thing that she says is that women need a lot more uh, of the, bran- the branch chain amino acid leucine. Women tend to use that as fuel a lot more than men do. Um, so that's a that's an important topic for women. She actually recommends that um, in combination with carbohydrate during workouts. So if you're going to run a marathon, you have access to to leucine or branch chain, chain branch chain amino acids in general. That that in combination with uh, with carbohydrate is a much better uh, mixture for women. So I know that that's a big thing. But her book is amazing, and she goes into all of those things. It's a really good book.
0: Sure, uh, I will. I will check it out and include it in the uh, show notes. Let's move on. Uh, You know, I try to have a bit of a change of pace, as I call it, and do a quiz segment, a fun segment with the guests. So a very short uh, five question on running, fitness, health. So uh, let's get into that, Luke. Yeah. Before we start the quiz, I want to let listeners know that all the resources being discussed here are included in the show notes. So do refer to those uh, links for further information. I also request all of you who are listening to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. Now to the quiz. Uh, So Boston Marathon has been cancelled for the first time uh, this year. Well, it's not exactly cancelled, but it's now going to be virtual. Uh, there was only there has only been one year in in boston marathon's history when it was not run as an individual race and it was replaced by a different type of race this was in 1918 during world war 1 do you know what was the race uh, in 1918
1: uh, i believe that that was the uh, military relay uh,
0: yes uh, that's that's uh, that's absolutely correct uh, moving on to uh, a body um, a body supplement, which is beetroot, which is obviously gaining wide acceptance. Uh, how exactly does beetroot supplement work on the body? I mean, what's the what's the uh, chemical or the biological trigger which happens?
1: Yeah, so beetroot juice is uh, has a lot of nitric nit nitric nitrogen oxide, NO. Um, which is a vasodilator, helps deliver oxygen, can actually improve endurance, and it will also improve uh, muscle contraction. So it's very good. But I will say this because I've looked into this a lot, is that uh, you got to be careful with it because if you take too much all the time, your body stops producing what it makes naturally. Because it actually does make made naturally in the body. This is just a supplement and really should be just for a workout or for a race. But it's not something that I would necessarily take every single day because you just basically suppress what your body makes naturally. Okay,
0: uh, thank you. Uh, men's marathon has been around in the modern Olympics uh, since the uh, since the beginning. Uh, however, women uh, for women it was considered a dangerous event, and it's really recent, uh, quite recent, uh, that women's marathon was included uh, in the modern Olympics. So, do you remember which year it was?
1: Yeah, it would have had to been '84, uh, the uh, LA Games, and that would have been uh, Joni uh, Benoit Samuelson, who is uh, she's still a monster. She's in her 60s and still running sub three hours, so she is uh, she is a tough, tough competitor.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's it's quite remarkable that uh, she's still breaking masters records and uh, Mm -hmm. quite quite a legend. Yes. Next one is uh, there is a type of workout uh, that all runners uh, do, and I'm sure it's there in your plans as well, which comes from the Swedish word for speed play. What what do we call that?
1: That one's easy. That was one, that one's easy. That's the fart like workout.
0: <laughs> that's uh, that's true. <laughs> and, the, and the last one again, uh, there is only one runner who has ever achieved the holy grail of uh, yeah, holy grail in long distance running in the Olympics of winning the five thousand, ten thousand. And the marathon in the same Olympics. Uh, do you know who that is?
1: I do now. I can't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, oh, Emil Zatopek. Zatopek, yes. Zato-pek. Now yeah. I got a question for you. Do you know how yes. he ended his career?
0: Oh, uh, no, I don't. I don't know. No,
1: you know, Okay, so his wife was a javelin thrower, and so he was towards the end of his career, and this is like strength training was starting to come around, and and. And uh, so he actually would run with his wife on his shoulders, and he hurt himself, and he had to quit running.
0: <laughs> really? Because I know that he used to, you know, run in the mili- in Czechoslovakian yep. military uniform and the, you know, heavy uh, boots and things like that. But th- uh, this story I haven't heard of, so that's that's quite interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's actually got a, a great book on him out. Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, but before we leave you look uh for the listeners can you recommend uh, I mean you talked about one book uh, in particular for uh women athletes but uh there, are there any particular blogs websites podcasts YouTube channels that uh you follow uh which you can recommend
1: yeah I would definitely pick up that book roar the the guide to champion mental toughness um it's a little bit of an older book but you can still find it um that's a good one. Some really good self uh, assessments to do in there. Uh, so I, I would say that for mental training, things like that. Uh, the book Endure by Alex Hutchinson. It's a couple years old now, but that's a great book uh, just on really kind of, again, kind of like the mental side of things. Jay Deshari, uh, he's got a couple books. One is uh, Running Rewired, a uh, really good book. It's, it's basic st- uh, strength training that you can do at home. Uh, really good stuff. He's, uh, and then I would also look at, uh, Brad beer, like the drink. Um, he's got a really good YouTube channel, uh, really good, uh, strength assessments, easy stuff that you can do, uh, after a run on your own, things like that. So I really recommend those, uh, those types of things. That's, I'm more of a book person than a, um, podcast person. So I don't really have a ton of podcasts. Final surge who I have a partnership with. They always, they have, they have a, a good podcast and they have a lot of different uh, resources on there as far as people that they bring in. Um, so a wide range of, of expertise. Um, I definitely would recommend them. And then obviously you got to get my book, right? You got to get Hans's marathon method. You got to pick that up.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Out of, uh, out of the books and uh, other materials you mentioned, uh, I have, uh, I've read, uh, Endure. I have running rewired by David Chari. Uh, and I also follow uh, Final Surge uh, podcast, which uh, mm-hmm. you know brings people, people like you, you know, top coaches, um, uh, runners. It's it's quite a quite a useful one to follow. But I'll I'll put these in the show notes and personally also check up the uh, the other materials that uh, that you have shared. Uh, and of course, to, for all the listeners, absolutely uh, do <laughs> buy the Hanson's Marathon Method book and uh, go through it, whichever for plan you are following. Uh, just to enhance your understanding of this uh, lovely sport. Uh, it's it's something you will not regret. Uh, and before we leave you, uh, Luke, uh, where can people contact you? What's your, uh, what's your website, your social media handles, emails? How best to get in touch with you?
1: Uh, yeah, so Twitter is just my name, uh, but it's actually Lucas Humphrey, uh, L-U-C-U-S Humphrey. Um, so you can find me on there. Uh, Instagram, uh, Luke Humphrey. HMM, um, Facebook. We have a page that'll actually link you to a group that we have. It's a free group. There's about 12,000 people in there. Uh, and that's just Luke Humphrey running. Just search that on Facebook. You'll come to it. Uh, my website, Luke And on there you'll find, we have a podcast. Uh, we have a blog that we answer a lot of questions about the books. We go into more in depth into topics and things like that. So some really good, uh, resources for you there. We do have a YouTube channel, um, just look Humphrey running as well. But uh, um, honestly, everything that's on my website will either get on the podcast or on the YouTube channel. So um, you can definitely get to it from one of those areas.
0: Uh, both the uh, podcasts as well as the Facebook uh, group, uh, personally, I have benefited enormously. I mean, that Facebook group is so vibrant. Obviously, you also participate uh quite a lot. So it's, it's a really unique uh, running group with so much of support, so much of insights and, you know, athletes all who share the same, uh, same passion. Uh, So thank you for putting that together. And, uh, you know, I remember, I think when I joined, it was probably a couple of thousand members. Yeah, It's gone to 12,000 now. Wow. Yeah. It's about 12,000.
1: Yeah. No. And I do like that group because honestly, you know, I can tell people what to do all I want and sometimes they just need to hear that other people have done it and they, they, and it's benefited them. So, you know, that helps me tremendously because that's just a voice for, you know, that the program works. Right. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great, and then a lot of times they answer the, it's funny because they'll just, I've answered the same question so many times that other people will start answering the questions on what I've said, which is perfect, which is exactly what I want. Right. I want other people to
0: be able to kind of take control of that. So. It's a really good group, and again, for all the listeners uh, who are interested in running, I would say not just running. I mean, it's it's about there's a lot of good material there about uh, you know nutrition and fitness in general, uh, and a lot of people who contribute. So it's it's a good uh, good uh, group to be involved uh, involved in. Involved in. So yeah, thank you absolutely. very very much, Luke. Thanks for uh, everything that you have uh, done uh, done for uh, all of us uh, runners uh, and athletes. Uh, and wish you the best and hope to see you continuing to do this in the decades to come. Well,
1: I appreciate it, Raj. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you very much to all the listeners. As I mentioned, all the resources discussed here are included in the show notes. So do refer to those links for further information. You can reach out to me on my social media handles which are Running and Fitness with Raj on both Instagram and Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Running Raj and you can also email me on Running and Fitness with Raj at gmail.com Please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show. I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please leave a rating and review on iTunes or whichever podcast platform you are using. This will enormously help in growing the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy, and till the next show, goodbye.